0: What is going on? Happy Friday. It's the Pete Callender Show, and I'm the Pete of the show. News Talk 1110 993 WBT. And uh, you can email Pete at com. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Pete Calliner. uh So the BBC has apparently taken to altering direct quotes from sexual assault survivors, or at least one. A woman who was quoted in a piece about an attack that she uh, suffered from a transgender woman, and the victim is a lesbian woman. Okay, all right, so I'm going to set the table here. Transgender woman, so born a man, identifies as a woman, allegedly attacks a lesbian woman and the BBC does this story and then they make some changes. I want to bring on Brad Slager back to the program. He is a columnist for red state, redstate.com. Also, uh, he does a daily column over at town hall called rift from the headlines. Hey, Brad, how are you? How we doing Pete? How's everything? Oh, not too bad. <laughs> Just, you know, trying to make my way through the crazy world we are in. Um, so the BBC. First off, I have to ask: Why should anybody care if the BBC changes through word smithery? Uh, why should why should anybody care about this kind of alteration? Right? Doesn't this kind of thing happen all the time?
1: Um, it, it probably happens frequently. The question is: Should it happen? Because what you're looking at here, the, the main problem with what the BBC did here is that it's not about their commentary or injecting certain language, but they were altering testimony, somebody's direct quotes. So that's where the problematics begin when it comes to journalism. I mean, you're you're altering somebody's testimony. On top of which, we're talking about a woman that was a victim of a sexual assault. So this is even more problematic because this is her testimony to a crime. They want to go in and change her language in order to fit a social construct and and it's just, it devolves from there. I mean, it's just a downward spiral of journalism ethics getting tossed out the window.
0: So BBC wanted to explore, you write this in your piece at RedState.com. The BBC wanted to explore the reality of lesbians experiencing pressure to accept and engage with trans women, uh, which is an interesting dynamic. Um, so, first off, I guess, do we give kudos to the BBC for even looking at this topic? I, I think – because I think this – I mean, this is an issue that does exist. I'm aware of it. So, at least we give them a little bit of credit for exploring it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's uh, there's a certain level of bravery you got to acknowledge here. Because, like I said in my piece, they're basically pulling the pin on a hand grenade while standing in a minefield. I mean, <laughs> right. this is going to be – something that's going to bring up problematic. You just know that's going to happen on the gate. But the the amazing thing is that in order to explore this, they're uncovering things that completely contradict what the last 5 or 10 years of narrative that we've been fed, you know, about women victimology, believing all women. And when it for whatever reason when it comes to the trans community, the the media and a lot of activists pay 100% deference to them at the expense of women and their agency, and now suddenly when you're given a case of a lady saying she was raped, you know, this is her accusal, that she went out with a trans individual and was ultimately assaulted, they're completely discounting her testimony because they need to adhere to a social construct with the language. And what they end up doing is altering her testimony in order to not be offensive to a sexual attacker. And it's just as upside down as it could possibly get.
0: What, so why do you think there is this level of deference to uh, the trans community among the media types? Why do you think that is?
1: That is an ongoing question, i got to be honest with you, because when you, when you look at all of the action taken on their behalf, the trans community I'm talking about, mm-hmm you have to overstep a lot of things that have been the norm when it comes to either science or language or or social constructs. And and just across the board, they do this. They just give complete deference to the trans community without stepping back and looking at common sense and pragmatism. You know, it's, it's basically if the trans community says it, that's the way we go. And so as a result, Here we have a victim of a sexual assault saying, I went back to his place, he assaulted me, and then the BBC goes and changes her language and says, no, no, you went to their house, they assaulted you because we can't be offensive to the alleged rapist. Right. It's just as odd as it can possibly get.
0: And this is not the only example. You mentioned a couple of them, the AP, the Associated Press, uh, they have their style book that a lot of newsrooms, I would dare say most newsrooms, Uh, rely upon the AP Stylebook uh, in order to kind of guide them on what words to use and how to frame things and that sort of stuff to ostensibly make it as fair and unbiased as possible and create a uniform code uh, for how-to journalism, right, across all of these different outlets and uh, I've, I've seen these, you know, pop up over the years where they, you know, one was they changed illegal alien. You don't use that term. And honestly, like I, I actually prefer unauthorized immigrant. I think it's a little bit more precise, but they, they just abandoned all of that. And they went with the undocumented line, which is that that's not the problem. That's not descriptive. It's not that they lack the documents. They do have documents, right? <laughs> they just don't have the correct ones. So it's not a matter of not having them. Um, but also uh, you mentioned I was not aware of this one. The Today Show that they airbrushed images of that swimmer, Leah Thomas. I wasn't, right. I wasn't, what happened there?
1: Um, it was basically, I think it was February when that story was really in the news cycle. And just in doing a montage, there, there was a still shot of Leah Thomas in the water right after completing a race, you know, with the swim cap and everything. And... There's been a number of side by side shots that showed the actual image, and then what they put on screen during their segment softened a lot of the features, you know, smoothed some lines, and gave a little bit more of a feminine presentation of Leah Thomas than the actual photograph, Mm -hmm. you know. And this is again altering something that is already established as factual in the news, and this is the same group of journalists understand that always complain about editing video altering content you know they, they they use that when it's convenient and yet it's okay for them to go out and do this sort of thing when they're pushing a particular narrative you know and it's just becoming more and more of a pattern this way
0: yeah it's the selective editing charge that they level against James O'Keefe mm-hmm. for example which is ridiculous because anybody who's ever edited anything is selectively editing. Unless you're just providing a raw feed, then you are editing something, So, and you are selectively editing it. I've always found, always found that to be a disingenuous argument, um, or attack, I should say. So you, you also uh, have in the piece here the um, explanation from the BBC that says that they, they made these edits, they changed this direct testimony from this rape survivor um, in light of comments that she made, the victim made, After the publication of the story, a week after sustained pressure and criticism, and they say, look, it's routine to have editorial discussions about different stories. Our only intention when deciding on language is to make things as clear as possible for audiences, as clear as possible for audiences. And without a hint of irony there, they state that
1: yeah this is (laughs) that that, that's a bit of a euphemism we're seeing crop up more and more often in the press these days where they try to explain that what they're doing is massaging the storyline for the benefit of their readers when that's kind of a tacit admission that we're altering the narrative Mm -hmm. we want to push a certain agenda and again it would be different if they had presented her commentary and then beneath it said something to the effect of well the attacker identifies as female, therefore, you know, they should have been referred to as they or them. No, they went in and actually altered direct quotes, and that's about as problematic as it gets. And we saw this actually speaking to Leah Thomas. During that time, I think it was USA Today that had an op ed from another collegiate swimmer, female. Giving her impressions on you know what it meant to have this trans swimmer and and that too got some pushback from the trans activists and USA Today went in and altered after the fact that altered that op ed changing the words of the individual that wrote the op ed. Yeah, uh,
0: my guest is Brad Slager. He's a columnist at Red State RedState dot com. We'll have more with him uh, in a minute, it's including a uh, a look at uh, all of the uh, all of the the days dedicated for raising awareness for LGBTQ issues. <music> News Talk 1110 wbt Pete Callender here talking with Brad Slager. He is a columnist for RedState.com. He also does a daily uh, column at TownHall.com. Rift from the headlines. It's VIP access. By the way, you can follow him on Twitter at MartiniShark.com. So, Brad, I got to ask you, what is uh, what's that name? What, what is the name about? Martini Shark?
1: That's uh, yeah, that's correct. I've I'm, I'm basically gone with that moniker online for years. But um, over at Red State, I also have a cocktail and leisure column called Dipsology that uh, just ties in with that. So. it's... I figure I may as well just stick with it. It's easier to remember that.
0: It one. is. I thought it might be one of the installments in like the Sharknado series or something. Uh, some refer- I don't watch any of this. Like I'm, I'm not a Shark Week guy or anything like that. So.
1: Uh, oh man, come on! I've, I've even pitched to them. I've got a couple of signed scripts from that movie. I've oh my that. gosh! Really? See, so yeah, it I'm could be. Guy.
0: So it <laughs> could be. You could there. We could see an an installment or uh, maybe a cameo of some kind. Martini Shark. I don't know what is that an actual kind of shark?
1: No, no, it's oh, okay. more of my uh, my <laughs> online presence is what it
0: is. All right, I was going to say it would probably look really weird. Um so one of the things um it, before I move off of just to go back to that BBC story because the quote that they have in there uh, just the first part, this is the direct testimony of a woman who uh said that she was out in a social setting and uh she is talking she's a lesbian and so she is talking with a trans woman so this is a you know biological male that is now identifying as a female and he, her quote was he threatened to out me as a turf and risk my job if i refused to sleep with him um this was to this turf term i've heard this this is a point of contention between trans and because it stands for uh, Trans-exclusive radical feminist, I believe. And so there's this tension between these two activist groups, right? Because the radical feminists see trans as men becoming women and then sort of derailing their efforts or influencing, impacting their efforts. I just thought that the amount of pressure that must exist inside of the activist community here has to be pretty pretty strong in order for her to actually go back home with this trans uh, woman. And then uh, it says, I was too young to argue, had been brainwashed by queer theory. So he was a quote woman, even if every fiber of my being was screaming throughout. So I agreed to go home with him. He used physical force when I changed my mind upon seeing his penis. And then he raped me like that's that's how that all transpired and they went back in the BBC went back in and changed all of the he's into thems and so i'm curious what you know of the the way that the media frames these battles between turfs and trans
1: uh, well basically they with the exception of this particular piece they they tend to avoid that very type of conflict and this is a very real one going on inside the lgbt community mhm uh, we're even seeing J.K. Rowling, the author, becoming a very heated target because she is rather adamant about preserving things that are women and feminine-based. And because she's doing that, they're calling her a turf. You don't even need to be a feminist anymore to have that label thrown on you. It's just basically used as a tool to say they're hyper-intolerant, they're transphobic. You're a turf means you're against all trans for some reason. And this is an internal battle going on in the movement. And it's it's kind of a sign that, the that, you know, if you look at the trans community as a population, they're very small. Mm-hmm. I mean, microscopic almost. And yet, look at the deference, look at the power, look at how much influence they're wielding through their trans activism. It's a complete imbalance going on.
0: I wonder if it's because the power of the sort of historical, traditional LGBT lobbying activist uh, types that that has been diminished because gay marriage got a, 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 you know, was uh, ruled in the Supreme Court to be legal. Right. And now they don't have that issue that animates them. And so they don't have the power any longer that they used to. And so that power has sort of now drifted over to the trans section of the. Uh, of the movement, I, I I don't know. It's uh, it is fascinating to watch. So let me ask you: uh, It is Gay Pride uh, Pride Month, right? Happy Gay Pride Month to you. Um, I didn't get you anything, but um, so I right, so uh, I am I am kind of curious because I saw you talking uh, on Twitter uh, uh, about this uh, fatherly dot com story about whether parents should take their kids to Pride parades and Pride festivals. And so I guess first off. Um, we should probably identify how oppressed are LGBT folks, particularly gay pride uh, recognition events and such. Is this, I mean, it's just June, right? It's only June. They don't get anything other than that?
1: Uh, No, they get quite a bit more. Uh, This is is something I kind of stumbled across apart from Pride Month. I was looking into one other story in the past and noticed – Something had sprung to mind. It was LGBTQ History Month, but that was in October, no. not June. And I said, wait, hold on, what's this? So the LGBTQ community has two months set aside. And as I explored this, all of a sudden this avalanche of memoriams and, and recognition started pouring out that I started to find there's... I mean, among all the other, you know, individual days, all the subgroups that are in the LGBTQ community also have days of remembrance or even weeks. there's bisexual awareness week. Um, There's gender fluid visibility week, international asexuality day. Um, And I went down this list and started compiling them. All the groups that are under the LGBT banner on the calendar now have well over 110 days that are signified. Wow. One third of the calendar is dedicated to these groups (laughs) that are saying they need to build awareness. They need more recognition. And I was just staggered by just how many of these take place. And there's also, of course, you know, other, individual days that are connected with them you know there's harvey milk day there's the pulse nightclub shooting day things like this Mm -hmm. um but there's a trans awareness week there's a trans awareness month uh and it just you know goes on and on to the point that one third of the calendar is dedicated to people who are saying they're not recognized enough
0: yeah i mean really is 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 one out of three days enough shouldn't it be (laughs) shouldn't it be shouldn't be every day Really,
1: And then on top of that, each individual group also has specific flags that they fly right. because the gay pride flag wasn't inclusive enough. And as you see it now, it's starting to get crowded out with all the other inclusive stripes and colors. But there's, as I went down this rabbit hole, I found there's over 50 different pride flags <laughs> that can be found. And
0: wasn't that the point of the rainbow? Flying. It was all the colors. It was supposed to be all-inclusive
1: yeah but now there's shades there's you know <laughs> black and gray and white are included, but they can mean you know white on one flag can mean something different than white on another one of the categories and there's many shades of blue, bunch of shades of green, and they all represent something different, and they're all interpretational,
0: yeah, well, and I will say at some point yeah i I think at some point they will get to. The individual as the smallest minority. I think they're gonna. I think they will eventually get to the point where they recognize the individual is the minority, uh, the smallest minority in America. Brad Slager, I appreciate you taking some time for us. Uh, you can read his work at RedState.com and TownHall.com. Have a great weekend, Brad.
1: And yourself, Peter. All
0: right, buddy. Take care. Thanks again to Brad Slager redstate.com Martini Shark on Twitter <laughs> He's worth the follow. he's fun. Um, and I saw this I saw him respond to this uh, website that posted up uh, an article titled "Yes, you should take your kids to a Pride parade parentheses, but have these conversations first. This is from a website called fatherly.com. Fatherly.com. And here's how it begins. Pride parades and the pride festivals that follow are noisy and crowded. They're filled with sights that may be new to kids, like public nudity and kink. Not to mention that pride parades are not the most sober of places. So is it appropriate to take your young children to pride? Well, their answer is wholeheartedly yes. Take them, let them see the nudity, let them see the kink and the public drunkenness. <laughs> From the fatherly.com website. Considering the benefits for all families, including seeing other LGBTQ families like yours, or showing up as an ally if your family members are straight and cisgender. By the way, I did not agree to that pronoun. I did not agree to the cisgender pronoun. You guys just put that on me. You're like, you're. it's almost like dead naming me. I think you, you got to get fired now, I think. That's, I think that's the rule. By the way, I don't care, and I never have. I know, like, back in the day when the Charlotte Pride Festival or uh, parades began, and um, I remember Pat McCrory got in all sorts of trouble from some of the conservative base in the Republican Party, because as mayor, he would always write, you know, oh, hey, organization, welcome to Charlotte. Charlotte's a great city, you know, whatever. The mayors in North Carolina have very little power. It's largely a ceremonial role, OK? Like you get sworn in and they give you the big pair of scissors so you can cut all the ribbons. OK, I may be I may be oversimplifying it. Maybe I'm minimizing all of the roles to some degree, but it is a very ceremonial position. They don't even get to vote on most items. I think protest petition rezonings in Charlotte. I think that's it. Or in the event of a tie. Something like that. But he gets to name committee. Anyway, I'm, I'm down a rabbit hole here. It doesn't matter. Pat McCrory got into trouble because he wrote one of these standard letters. I was like, welcome to Charlotte. And there were conservatives who were like, Pat, you can't do that. How dare you welcome the, the gay pride parade to Charlotte? I didn't have any problem with that. It's a parade. If you do it for all the other parades, you do it for them. It doesn't matter to me. They want to have a parade, have a parade. Go ahead. Get the permits, do the parade. What I do have a problem with was what occurred at the parade, which fatherly.com also acknowledges here, the public nudity, the kink, and the public drunkenness. I would not look favorably upon a heterosexual parade that engaged in this kind of behavior. I wouldn't. I don't think that's appropriate. And I don't think it's appropriate no matter who you're grinding up or twerking up against. It really doesn't matter to me. Um, Oh, and by the way, that's equality. (laughs) Just a heads up. That's equality. All right. I don't want to see heteros doing that in the streets in front of kids and getting them to dance All suggestively, yeah, there were videos and pictures taken from these events and people were very worried about what might, you know, what this could prompt and what kind of message it sends and all of that stuff. And they were just vilified. Oh, they were attacked. I I totally understand the concern. Pride parades started as a political event first held in New York in June 1970 to commemorate the first anniversary of the Stonewall Riots. The upright. By the way, you know Charlotte now renaming Stonewall Street because it was named after the Confederate Stonewall Jackson, right? I believe. And so uh, now they're renaming the road, so everybody has to change their addresses. There are a bunch of apartments on that street now too. Why couldn't you just keep it Stonewall and just say, "Hey, we're renaming it after the Stonewall Riots," which was the uh, Stonewall Inn in New York, uh, West Village in New York. Lasted six days, kicked off the gay rights movement, right? Why didn't you just leave it as Stonewall Street for that? Whatever. People make things more difficult than they need to be. Then there's this quote from Jennifer McGuire, Ph.D., an associate professor of family social science at the University of Minnesota, eh? And she's been to Pride celebrations across the world with her family from Tucson to Amsterdam, McGuire, who's a lesbian parent, always preps her kids for possible adult content beforehand. After a few events, the kids knew to expect nudity and other surprises. Well, then they're not surprises. If you're expecting it, it's not a surprise. Anyway, uh, they just had to learn to laugh and enjoy things, she said. Aha, look at that. That guy, all naked and he's rubbing up again. Wait a minute. Why do you guys have such a problem with Madison Cawthorn now? Why am I what am I missing here? Anyway, they had they just had to learn to laugh and enjoy things, she said. Like there were these beanie babies with giant um male genitalia on them. Beanie babies with huge yeah. For 4th and 5th grade kid. That's super funny, she said. Isn't that's super funny. Oh, Pete, you're such a prude. Well, maybe. Hey, you want to raise your kid in that kind of hypersexualized environment? Okay, groomer, that's fine. You do what you want. But you don't get to decide that for everybody else, and that doesn't make you know your preferences don't make them normal or legit for and acceptable for everybody else. See, this is the thing about libertarianism, right? You want to do something, you go right ahead and do it. But don't try to force somebody else to do the thing that you want to do and try to force them to accept that as their preference or norm or level of appropriateness. She said the benefits to her family always outweighed any potential downside, any potential downside. Like, okay, I'm not even going to go down. that. But because she said they could see how many other queer families were in the community and around the world. Quote, they don't necessarily get that from their swimming teams and drama clubs at school yet. (laughs) News Talk 1110-993-WBT-704-570-1110 and 1-800-WBT-1110 if you'd like to weigh in on the topics at hand. Also, Pete at thepetecalendarshow.com. Uh, if you go to the website also, you can get the podcast, thepetecalendarshow.com. Super easy. Just click on it, and then it comes right to your smartphone or tablet every single day, three times a day, every hour is its own podcast. You can actually listen to them at, uh, faster than a hundred percent speed. So you can actually, yeah, you can actually make me sound like a chipmunk as you race through and you can get through like a half hour show in like 20 minutes. That's, it's wonderful. You can also slow it down. It makes me sound drunk. I've been told. So, uh, got an email here from Cindy who says, uh, take your kids, uh, on the pride parade topic, take your kids outside to play play ball, play in creeks, ride bikes with them, fly kites, take them to church, etc. Kids are forced into this quote pride society everywhere they turn. Let kids be kids. Our world and our world and this conversation on a family radio show is unnecessary. Oh, I disagree completely. This is not a family radio show. It's noon. Now, I mean and people are on break, but generally speaking. Although, I guess, is school out now? No, this is the last week of school, so they're still in school, unless they're getting out early or something. But no, I don't, I don't choose topics with children in mind. I don't consider this to be a family radio show. I mean, yes, you can listen to the show with all the kids in the car, but do you have a problem with this topic because of the way I'm talking about these events, or is it okay, like you just heard Vince Coakley's promo, and he was— talking about transgender issues as well. It's in the news. We just I spent the whole show, what, yesterday on the Parents' Bill of Rights? Was that acceptable? Is that family-friendly? Oh, that's okay? But these are these are the larger contextual issues. You, I feel like I need to know what's going on, and I feel like you probably would benefit from some of this information too. Um, but I appreciate the email, Cindy. Um But no, I definitely disagree. I don't understand. I I did not understand what the our world, our world and this conversation. So our world is unnecessary. I don't, our world and, okay, it doesn't matter. It's an email. It's, I'm moving on. Um, The other day I mentioned this Wake County school teacher, pre-K, used a bunch of flashcards. Yeah, the flashcards were from a collection that was called the Rainbow family's flashcard and the front as you heard Brad Slager talk about the front is like the gay pride uh, or sorry the progress pride flag because it's not because it's not just a rainbow anymore now you got that other like the triangle parts like the black the brown another shade of blue and then there's like some pinkish color whatever and then there's like a white and that's all like a triangle anyway it's getting very cluttered the flags are getting pretty cluttered and so she had these flashcards in a pre-K classroom setting Fourth, I mean, these are four-year-olds, right, pre-K, and they're supposedly used to teach kids colors. And to be sure, they they are colored, right? They've got blue, and it says blue, and they got a blue background, but then it's got, you know, two women sitting with a uh, a child looking at a book, and then there's another one, purple, and it's like two men, one with a, a turban, so I guess he's a Sikh or something, and uh, they're holding a little kid, and... Uh, That's purple, and they're all wearing purple clothing, and then there's yellow, and whatever. So you get the idea, right? And the reason why, it's obvious the reason why that the teacher used these cards is to convey values to these four-year-olds, that all of these things are acceptable. I'm not here to debate whether or not you think that she should or shouldn't think these are things that are acceptable. My only point is we should all agree that the values are being conveyed, right? Right? That's what is happening in the schoolroom. Values are being conveyed. But then, um, we get this from the News and Observer. Quote, Jackie Malazzo, whose child is in the preschool class. She accused Republican lawmakers of misstating how the flashcards were used. She said the flashcards were not used for teaching colors or any other direct instruction. Instead, she said they were displayed on a wall in the arts center. She called the controversy a publicity stunt because the flashcards were not on display at the time the issue was raised Friday. Quote, they want to get people riled up at the expense of the safety of our children. What? 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 Safety of your children? What are you talking about? See, there is this, there is this rush among left-wing activists to claim harm is being committed by simply disagreeing with their agenda. If you disagree with anything that they have to say, if you disagree with where they want to go, even if it's just forward, we don't know where, but forward. If you disagree, like, hey, I think there might be a cliff up there. Let's not go forward. Shut up, you phobe! Right? Then you're somehow committing harm against them. And you're not. Milazzo goes on to say that um, they're using... Uh, her special needs child is being used as a prop, and I hope that anyone reading about this remembers this come November, when it comes time to vote, that this is not supporting our children, not supporting our teachers, not supporting our schools. It's catering to the loudest, hate-filled voices in the community that don't represent the Ballantine community. This is not this is not our Ballantine in Charlotte. It's the Ballantine up in uh, Wake County. By the way, uh, police in Fuquay Varina, police were on campus. The day after. Why? No specific threats. But some parents were concerned about their children's safety. What? Look, I'm just saying, the world is a very dangerous place right now. You got Russia, you got China, still got, you know, Islamic radicals running around, probably crossing the border. You got sex traffickers and stuff. I mean, they just, they busted a a huge child sex trafficking ring, saved, like, scores of kids the other day, right? So it's a very dangerous world. If an objection to the flashcards is going to cause you to go to pieces and require cops to be present at your school, I don't think you're going to be up for the fight that might be coming. I'm just, I'm just trying to be real here. You Got to toughen up a little bit, I think. Just mentally be prepared, you know? Like, oh my gosh, somebody hates us. Like, really, really hates us. Not like, in a way, hey, I don't think you should be proselytizing about your sex life to my four-year-old kind of way. I mean, like, wants to murder all of us, kind of hates us. And they're not going to make any distinction between anybody here. So just might want to uh, toughen up on that one. But the the teacher, she resigned. The teacher resigned. And um, the McClatchy editorial board used this story to make this argument that Republicans really do want you to stop saying gay. Even though Republicans aren't saying that, they're saying this is age inappropriate in a pre-K setting or a K through three setting. As I went over yesterday, they're not saying don't say gay. They never said that. That's not the point. But that has to be the message for the media to amplify. It has to be because they think this might be an electoral winner for them.